Hi, I'm Amy Muirs, and you're listening to The Power of Young People, a podcast produced by the National Youth Leadership Council, where we explore how young people are using their ideas, creativity, and passion to change the world, their communities, and the lives of others. If you're a young person who wants to change the world, or an adult who wants to foster youth innovation and imagination, this show is for you. Make sure you follow us wherever you listen to your podcast so you don't miss out on new episodes. Um, Today, I have the amazing privilege of introducing you to Zeke Jackson. He's the executive director of People for PSEO. Um, It's a youth-led nonprofit organization that promotes, defends, and expands opportunities for high school students through the PSEO program, which we're going to learn all about. Zeke, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you and and, uh, share this information with your listeners. Awesome. So before we dive into the amazing work that you're doing through your nonprofit organization, um, I want to learn more about you. So could you introduce yourselves to our listeners and tell us a little bit more about you? Yeah, so my name is Zeke Jackson. I use he, him, his pronouns. I just graduated from the University of Minnesota with a degree in entrepreneurship and political science. Like I walked across that stage just a few days ago. So super excited to be done. Congratulations. (laughs) Outside of school uh, over the past year, I've been really busy. Um, I've been the student body vice president. So lots of student advocacy uh, taking place there. And then as well as the executive director of People for PSEO. Um, And so I started, I helped to start People for PSEO when I was in high school. And we'll talk more about what PSEO is exactly. Um, But now that I'm graduated, I'm continuing my work um, at People for PSEO. And really, I'm just gonna try and get back into a lot of my hobbies. During college, I haven't been reading enough fun science fiction or playing enough chess or playing enough video games. Um, Well, but maybe I've been playing too many video games. So I don't know if that's entirely true, (laughs) but that was worth it, so. That's awesome. And again, congratulations. What an amazing, huge achievement. That's just wonderful. Um, And yes, finding free time is so important. Take a little break for yourself. You deserve it. (laughs) (laughs) And I think according to my son, there is never enough video games. No, it's impossible. (laughs) So tell us about... um, People for PSEO. Um, what's the history? What's the mission, vision? What is PSEO? <laughs> yeah, so the PSEO program, it stands for post-secondary enrollment options. Um, and it's actually a state law here in Minnesota. Um, it was started in 1985 and it lets high school students go to college for free. So these high school students, they are enrolling um, and attending college classes on the college campus. So they're learning from the professor, they're surrounded by the older students. And by completing that college class, they are also fulfilling their high school graduation requirements. So um, if, for example, the student is taking a a four credit English class, the student typically would receive the four college credits for it and the grade associated with that. And then they would, you divide it by two. So the student's also getting two high school English credits. And um, the grade that they get in the college class goes back onto their high school transcript. So this is a really unique opportunity that, again, it was started here in Minnesota. And there are some states across the nation that have copied it and have their own kind of versions of the PSEO program. 
Um, but people for PSEO, we really we operate exclusively in Minnesota right now. And we're here to make sure that um, to promote, defend, and expand opportunities for high school students to access the PSEO program. So the vision here is that every student has the information and the tools and autonomy that they need in order to make a decision about whether to do PSEO. And as we might talk about in a, in a second here, not every student is getting that opportunity right now. So the main activities that we engage in is we share information about the program, whether it's handing out flyers or tabling at community events or going in person um, at high schools and middle schools and sharing information about um, PSEO and uh, programs like PSEO. And we also go to the state legislature and we uh, take the stories of uh, the kind of the PSEO success stories where students are graduating college after only two years or they're saving tens of thousands of dollars on college uh, because of PSEO. And we share those stories on um, the successes and the challenges in the hopes that they will defend the program in the future and improve the program um, in state law because there's a lot of problems with the state law as well. So, and, uh, and you know, as I mentioned, we only really work in Minnesota right now, but there are a lot of other states that have either they have programs that are very good like PSU in Minnesota and so we want to kind of network with them and better understand what they're doing and bring some of those best practices back to Minnesota. Um, there are some states that have program they might have programs similar to PSEO uh, but it's not as good for various reasons or there are states that just don't have anything flat out um, like PSEO at all and so we want to work with all of these other states to improve their programs um, wherever they're, they're currently at. Um, but that is that is definitely the long term goal here. Amazing. And you're definitely going to be putting or have been putting that political science degree into action with, <laughs> with the work that you're doing here. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I love how you talked about, um, you know, the affordability piece of this. And I'm sure you'll you'll get into that. Um, I really want to um, hear, though, more about like how you got started and why this is important to you. Yeah, so this goes back to some of the issues or the challenges that are associated with the PSEO program. So the whole reason I got into people for PSEO and into all of this advocacy is because when I was in high school, my uh, when I was a junior in high school, I did PSEO at the University of Minnesota. So I grew up in rural Minnesota, um, Little Falls Community High School, and I actually lived with my aunt and uncle down in the Twin Cities in order to drive to camp, the, the U of M campus every day. Um, and so I was a junior in high school. I was um, up at my high school and they told me I couldn't attend prom because of my enrollment in the PSEO program. Um, and so the PSEO law actually states that high schools, you, you know, you're still a full-time student at the high school. Um, you're both a high school student and a college at the student at the same time. So high schools can't just stop you from attending activities and stuff like that. Um, but at the time, I didn't know that. So I was uh, really confused by why wouldn't I be able to attend prom because I was a PSEO student. I was feeling hurt and confused, like I was kind of doing this program to better myself um, and save as much money on college as I can, because, of course, college is getting more expensive every single year. Yeah. And so, you know, what's going on here? And so the um, there's two, I would say, main issues with the PSEO program. Um, the main the first one is access to information. And this is access to information for students and families, but also even school administrators. 
And then the second problem has to do with the funding behind the PSEO program. And they're actually uh, very closely interrelated. So the, over, um, the overall problem here is that the reason that PSEO is free for students and that this saves students tens of thousands of dollars on college is because the state law has a funding formula for PSEO where the money follows you as a student from the high school to the college for every college credit that you're taking. So the, the college is actually getting money from the high school for you enrolling there. And because of that, the high school sees the PSEO program as a loss of revenue. Um, and so, especially for rural high schools like my own, it, PSEO is a really, really good option because we didn't have any advanced placement classes. Um, another big state program in Minnesota is called College in the Schools. Some other, uh, some other states call it like concurrent enrollment, um, where uh, you're taking the college classes inside the high school. So we didn't have any advanced placement. We only had maybe four or five college in the schools or concurrent enrollment classes. And I, if I had done that, I could only earn about 20 to 25 college credits. But through PSEO, I earned 57 college credits. Wow. And so the, there's a much higher credit ceiling, especially for rural students. Uh, but because rural high schools are a lot smaller, they actually bear the brunt of kind of this, fu this funding formula. Um, and they're the most impacted when an individual student leaves to go um, and enroll in the PSEO program. So because I did full-time PSEO, my high school only got 12% of the average daily membership funding that they would have otherwise received. And then that other 88% goes to the college. And for colleges, this is a pretty good deal because PSEO students are filling what would otherwise just be empty seats in the college classroom. Um, the quote unquote kind of like real or degree seeking college students have enrollment priority in all of these classes. So that's kind of where I got started. Um, I was kind of learning about this tension between high schools and the PSEO program and trying to find people who could help me deal with my high school essentially. So concurrently, while this was all going on, this little organization called People for PSEO was starting up. And so I was like one of the first 10 people to join the organization. Um, they helped me, some of the founders, um, the first board president, Aliyah Hodge, um, she helped me kind of figure out how to deal with my high school. And then that summer, I did a lot of volunteer work. We ended up raising you know, about $5,000 and so, that fall, uh, the board of directors decided to hire an executive director, and I applied with sort of the pitch that the PSEO program is really amazing for students. And as someone who experienced and, and uh, directly experienced some of the challenges with the PSEO program, I was really well positioned to articulate why the PSEO program was important, as well as what the challenges are, and uh, kind of pitched this vision of being a youth-led nonprofit organization to the board. And so they chose me. Um, and I've been kind of, uh, I've been, so I've been working part-time for people for PSEO ever since then, ever since my senior year of high school. And now that I'm graduating from college, I get to start doing this full-time and I'm really excited and, and passionate about this work. So um, it's, I'm very, very excited to be able to focus on this exclusively. What an amazing journey you've had. Um, and I think, you know, just kind of going back to your story a little bit, how important for young people to understand 
the dollars that are associated with their education when they're in, um, whether they're in, um, you know, public high school, junior high, even elementary, and how that translates to college, and to understand that, you know, the decision isn't always about them, it's about the dollars, right? Like, it's really a money-driven um, argument between the high school and the college and universities. And so- Absolutely. Yeah, that's just an, an amazing story. And I love that um, you made your case to be a student, you know, to make PS, uh, People for PSEO a student-led organization. What a powerful um, statement around not only your leadership, but the leadership of the board of People for PSEO that they went, yes, like that, yes, that's where we want to go. That's, that is the vision for this organization. So, I mean, you've touched on a couple of these, but I would love to hear more about kind of the successes you've seen, um, both mm -hmm. with the organization and the students coming through, and also the challenges and how you how you tackled those. Yeah, so we've had a lot of successes and challenges. Um, so it, some of the successes over the past four-ish, just over four years that we've been doing this work um, include getting getting the information out to students and parents. Um, we have shared in person, um, in person we've shared information with students um, about over 2,000-ish students and parents um, and our digital outreach numbers in the tens of thousands. We can't, uh, we don't even have, we aren't entirely even sure um, what the exact impact is there, but um, we think it's, we think it's probably, you know, tens of thousands of people. That's um, when it comes to sharing information with that, that's that's one area. Another area has to do with the successes in changing state law. So we have successfully changed a couple pieces of state law, one of them being making sure that PSEO students have uh, good access to online courses uh, at the post-secondary institutions. And the other one being around when high schools are required to notify PSEO students, getting that um, done earlier in the year. There are a lot of other things we want to change about the law, but we have um, seen some success with that and, and we'll be carrying on with that work. Some other successes are uh, have to do with our research that we do. So we do research on high school policies across the state, and this research has been published in a lot of different newspapers across the state. And the uh, highest profile one, I think, being in the Washington Post. So our story uh, around the need for PSEO to help solve things like the student debt crisis has really gotten a, a lot of media attention and we're really proud of that. Some of the challenges around um, our work have to do with our approach to getting information out. For example, because of this sort of tension that I outlined between high schools and the PSEO program, we find that a lot of high schools information about the program with their students because they're worried that they're going to lose revenue because of it. Mm -hmm. And so that has been a really big barrier that we've had to kind of work around over the past four years. And we haven't really found the perfect solution, um, but it is, but it's something that we're actively working on. And so 
we place a really huge emphasis. Um, I place a really huge emphasis in my leadership on articulating a theory of change. And so then I view our work each month or each school year as doing the work to either validate or disprove that hypothesis. We're kind of building our plane as we fly it, as one of our board members likes to say. So the really important thing that I've learned with all of this is to fail fast and move on when something isn't working. So um, for example, I kind of was vague about our digital outreach. I can, because I can go into our social media profiles or um, our YouTube videos and show how many people have viewed it or engaged with it, but we don't really know a lot of information about who those people are or um, what stage they were in learning about the PSEO program or whether they took that information and actually um, used it in action to enroll in the PSEO program, for example. So it's really been, um, it's really been a journey to understand what are the best ways to reach out to people in a way that we can get the information and metrics to prove that as a nonprofit organization, we're actually creating the impact that our donors and funders and volunteers want to see. Yep, you you articulated that so well. Um, it is obvious you've been in the nonprofit world for several years because I feel like that's what most nonprofits are doing. <laughs> it's building that plane as we're flying it um, because that is always the challenge um, to try to um, ensure that you have the proof while you're doing the work and being on the ground. And um, I, I keep going back to one of the things that you said earlier too, um, about a challenge you overcome when you told your own story and that that access and having to live with your aunt and uncle um, while you um, did your PSEO classes at the University of Minnesota. And I just, um, I, it just struck me that, you know, to think about that um, and what you had to overcome in your family had to overcome for you to be able to do that. So, sorry, I just, I keep, I just, it just stuck with me um, how amazingly resilient um, you are to have been able to do that. So um, yeah, so I, many successes and challenges. For real, I, I appreciate that. And something I'll point out as well is that this is, this is something that a lot of students across the state face. I mean, I was lucky and privileged enough that I had family members that I could live with near the U of M in order to do PSEO. A lot of, a lot of people don't have that opportunity. Um, the, some of the core issues that we're trying to fix around access to information and uh, has to do with the inequitable access that mm -hmm. there currently is to the PSEO program. Because right now, white students and uh, high-income students, students from high-income families are overrepresented in the PSEO program. And so what exactly are the barriers and challenges that are associated with students of color getting access and enrolling in the program? Though that's the kind of, that's the sort of work that our nonprofit was founded upon is understanding those barriers and seeking to tear them down. Um, our first board president, Aliyah Hodge, a black woman, she never learned about PSEO from her high school or anything. The only reason she was able to do PSEO was because a construction worker told her mom about it. And then her mom really pushed for her to do PSEO. And she ended up graduating from college two years early from the University of Minnesota and got her master's degree, uh, graduated with her master's degree at the age of 21 because of it. Um, so the it, it is a really incredible program, but there are a lot of disparities in access and representing that student voice and articulating the need for change around that access 
is a really big part of what we do. Yeah. And that really leads me into my next question was, and that's really about the, can you talk about the need for students to have power and control over their education and how, why that's important, not only for students, but for the community? Yeah, I think that really giving students power over their education is really, really healthy, not just for the students, but also for the, for the community that the student is in and for democracy itself. There is a difference, I would say, between, uh, this is usually how I frame it, between amplifying and empowering students. They're both very important, but they're also very distinct, and people oftentimes, I think, get them confused. I would say that amplification of student voices is giving students a platform to express themselves and their opinions and their vision. And I think this podcast is a really good example of amplifying student voices. But empowerment is a little bit different. It's where um, you are giving students money to achieve their goals. That's another example um, with the grant that uh, NYLC and People for PSEO did together, um, a good example of empowerment giving students money to achieve their goals or giving them direct access to levers of power, such as voting positions on a board of directors. Our board of directors, about 50% of our board of directors is under the age of 29. And that's one of the ways that we've really modeled our organization so that youth have the power to make actual decisions. Um, so for example, a lot of nonprofits that I've seen out there, they will have kind of youth positions on their board and um, they, but they don't have voting power. And so when I look at those nonprofits, what I'm seeing is that they're doing a really good job of amplification. They have that platform, that seat for students to voice their opinions and their vision, um, but they don't, they don't have power. They don't have, they don't have voting power. They don't actually have any direct levers to change anything. Another good example of that, I think, is at the University of Minnesota, um, there's a board of regents, and that's kind of like a board of directors role um, for a nonprofit almost, but it's, it's, not super, it's not a super parallel comparison. But the board of regents, they have uh, seats for the students, and the students can show up to these board of regents meetings, and they can state their opinion like, hey, uh, we don't want tuition to increase, but these students don't actually have any voting power. And so they don't, they don't have any actual control over the future of the curriculum or the future of tuition or anything like that at the university. So for the community, this is really important that students have the power to, to change their own environment. Um, oftentimes young people will essentially just act as old as they're treated. If we're given the opportunity to step up and, and engage with power, we will Enthusi enthusiastically take it and use it responsibly, I think. Um, I couldn't agree more. And so I, um, I often struggle. I appreciate how you articulated the difference between amplification and empowerment, um, because I often struggle when I see um, young people, people come to NYLC all the time and, and talk about um, incorporating young people onto their board of directors or creating a youth council. And my question it always is with them, it's like, so like, what's your, what's your motive behind doing that? Is it to give young people not only a seat and a voice at the table, but like the ability to um, directly impact change? Or is it that, you know, do you, you just want youth perspective? 
right? Like you just want to hear what they have to say, but you really, you'll decide if you like what they have to say, then you'll take action. Um, But if you don't really like what they have to say, you know, they're young, we're just gonna, well, they don't know any better, right? Like, so I really appreciate, you know, that distinction, because empowerment takes commitment, it takes getting out of your comfort zone. And it takes um, being able to step back and say, okay, you know, there's something here, and I might not like what I'm hearing, I might not like the direction this is going. But the the voices and the the experiences of young people have as much value as that other adult sitting in the chair next to them. So I really appreciate um, how you sh- how you articulated that. Um, yeah, and I will, that's a great way. <laughs> and I'll expand on that, and I'll say that it is also you know it is super important to also have older more experienced people to help guide youth as well but the it's it's i think a really effective and uh deadly combination to combine the passion and the energy and the new perspectives that youth can provide with the experience and the connections and the access to money that uh more mature professionals can oftentimes provide and and those two when combined i think could create quite an unstoppable force um but yes i'm i'm very defensive of um of student voices and i i do get frustrated when i see that when organizations creating like youth councils for example um i think that they again this is where the confusion between amplification and empowerment comes in where they create they they might have this idea for a youth council and they think that's empowerment um but it's really just amplification and mm-hmm. so i really just uh that that's something i would point out to people is what is you know when you're looking at the world when you're looking at nonprofits or what are, what organizations and schools in particular are doing um are they amplifying their student voices or are they empowering their student voices yeah wonderful wonderful um analogy thank you so much um you know, I want to focus a little bit on you <laughs> and talk about, so you're in, you've been in this leadership role since you were a junior in high school, right? Um, so what's it like? Um, how has leading an organization changed you? Um, what have you learned about yourself, about, about leadership? What does that look like for you? Yeah, so... I think one of my big takeaways so far is just how difficult it is to enact change. Um, so both of my parents are social workers and we mm-hmm. uh, we used to do foster care when I was a little kid. I remember them complaining a lot about the foster care system and, and how it works here in Minnesota. And, you know, I was like maybe in elementary school and I remember thinking, why don't they just change it <laughs> or, or tell other people <laughs> to change it? I didn't really understand why change was difficult. I didn't really understand the different barriers uh, that prevent change. And so I think having a better understanding of that is one of my one of my most important uh, is one of those areas where I've grown the most through my leadership at people for PSEO. Um, and learning how to navigate those barriers as well and, and build coalitions to tear down those barriers. I would when it comes to leadership, um, I would say through people for PSEO and through my education at the U of M, I've 
learned or come to the conclusion that people could create their own definition of leadership. Um, and that is really important for everybody um, to understand what their own definition of leadership is in order to be a better leader, I guess. So my definition of a leader is um, someone who the alignment between their actions and their values is so closely aligned that it inspires the people around them to take action, whether it's to better align their own actions and values, or whether it's to inspire people to take action on the movement that they're trying to lead or the um, goal that they're trying to accomplish, whatever, whatever that specific context is, that's the kind of definition of leadership that I've begun to idealize and that I sort of aspire to accomplish. So what's it like recruiting other young people to take action? Recruiting other young people is really challenging and rewarding. Um, I would say that the number one thing that I've learned is that you can't just make an ask up front. And that's something that, um, that I've had to learn through people for PSEO as well is when I approach other PSEO students or prospective PSEO students, for example, I almost, uh, I think at the beginning, I kind of assumed that the benefits of the PSEO program or the need to advocate for the PSEO program was almost self-evident, but it really takes, it's really, really important to establish a, a strong connection and really get to know each young person and, and what their motivations and interests and concerns are. And, and be able to tell that story of, of why they should connect with the need to take action. Um, that is, without that, there's a lot fewer opportunities to inspire future change makers, I think. Um, and that's something that, I, that's a process that I need to go through and I need to do a really good job of going through in order to accomplish anything. But I think that's something that adults also need to do a better job of just in general as well. Absolutely agree. Um, I would love to hear too, like um, what you've learned about the need for young people um, to share their voices. I think that the need for young people to share their voices has a lot to do with the fact that different generations face entirely different problems. Um, I think that for my generation, for Generation Z, we have a lot of worries and anxieties about our future. Um, the top ones being gun violence, student debt, and climate change, and, and probably a few other things as well. And the just when you look at the, the facts and the data, a lot of the older generations just don't have the same um, worries and anxieties. They have their own, they have their own problems that they're trying to deal with. And that's kind of rooted in these generational structures that are present in our society as well. And so I think that it's really important for young people to share their voices because we truly do have a unique perspective in that we were born at a completely different time and we're going to be the future leaders of our nation. And we have completely different problems that we need to deal with within our lifetime. And without those unique perspectives and energy and innovative approaches, um, the older generations, I think just, they won't be able to as effectively address those issues. Um, and so 
with by bringing young people into the conversation, everybody can create more meaningful and sustainable change for the future. I absolutely agree. I think that um, having um, being able to empower young people um, in partnership with adults is is truly the only way that we're going to get to those deep system changes um, that need to occur because we need the innovation. We need um, perspectives um, beyond what's those people who are seated, seated at the table right now. And there are so many unique challenges that we're facing that young people have a, a deep understanding of because they're experiencing it right now especially when we talk about things like gun violence and climate change, they see, they see it in a way that um, a lot of times um, adults don't. So what advice would you give to young people who have an idea that could bring about um, deep and meaningful change? What advice would you give them? Yeah, going, going back to earlier, I think my number one would be create a hypothesis, what your theory of change is, what you think needs to happen in order to solve a problem and fail fast. Just pursue that. And if, if it doesn't work out, create a new hypothesis and try something new and fail again until you hit the right hypothesis. Um, the second one I would say is to seek out mentors who can help you define your hypothesis, who can help you meet people who will help you define your hypothesis. And the third one, don't be afraid to take risks. We are so young and we have so much time and the time is now to take risks and, and get the change done. It doesn't happen overnight. So that persistence and resilience is key. Um, I can think of several times, even with people for PSEO, where it feels like I'm just kind of pushing ahead and a lot of ch change isn't happening and nothing is working. And then I look, I look backwards and I look over the past year and I sit down and I crunch the numbers. And I'm like, wow, actually, we did a lot better this year compared to the previous year. And but oftentimes in the moment, it doesn't always feel like that. So don't forget to keep pushing uh, forward. Wonderful. Yeah. Celebrate those small wins because <laughs> they add up to big ones. Yeah, that's wonderful. So my last question, Zeke. What do you want people to remember after listening um, to, to the podcast today? What do you want to want them to walk away with? Number one, um, be able, if you're an adult um, and you work with an organization that works with youth, take what I've said about amplifying versus empowering student voices and try and take a look at your own organization. Do you amplify or do you empower student voices? And how can you be? How can you do better at both of those uh, kind of categories? If you are a student, remember that your voice matters, that you have a unique perspective, and that actually your age is a strength that you can leverage in order to enact change. And finally, if you are someone who's interested in the PSEO program or helping people for PSEO address student debt. And you live, in a, you live in Minnesota, reach out to us. Or if you live in a different state across the nation um, and you wanna help us help your state with your PSEO program, please reach out to us and, uh, and start a conversation with us and, and we'll make it happen. 
Wonderful. Well, Zeke, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Um, really, your leadership, um, the work that you're doing is so important and powerful. And I think I just can't even, um, I want to amplify your message about <laughs> the power of the money and where, you know, it's it's your education. You get to control the outcomes that you um, you aspire to. So um, again, thank you. Um, you were truly inspiring, and I'm so grateful for all the work that you're doing and for sharing your knowledge and encouraging all young people to accomplish their goals. So thank you all for listening. And as always, we invite you to join us as we serve, learn, change the world. Thank you so much. <laughs>